Welcome to a podcast about a podcast. I'm your host, Katie Johnson, here to talk about my favorite podcast, Morbid, a true crime podcast, hosted by Ashton Lena. Let's start off with my, favorite, my number five, Ted Bundy, part one and two. It starts on episode five. Ted Bundy is known for slaying 36 women, though experts believe he sold more than 100. Ted Bundy is known for his charisma and smooth talking. Bundy's first killing start was on February of 1974. His first murder victim was 21-year-old Linda Healy. His second victim was killed in June of 1975 and was a 15-year-old girl named Susan Curtis. The following year, Bundy was arrested on August 16, 1975 at 2.30 a.m. Two months later, he was identified by Carol Daranch, whom he tried to abduct in November of 74. On January 15, 1978, at 3 a.m., Bundy entered the Chi Omega sorority house near Florida State University and killed Margaret Bowman and Lisa Levy. They were both beaten severely and strangled to death. On February 9, 1978, Bundy kidnapped and murdered 12-year-old Kimberly Leach. She was his youngest victim in last murder. She was um, last seen in the, in the middle of the school day. In July 1978, Bundy was indicted for the murders of Margaret Bowman and Lisa Levy and the attempted murders of Cheryl Thomas, Kath, Kathy Kleiner, and Karen Chandler. July 24, 1979, Bundy was found guilty of murdering Levy and Bowman and attempted murders of Kleiner, Chandler, and Thomas. One week later, he was sentenced to death for those murders. In the following year, on February 1980, Bundy was found guilty of Leach's kidnapping and murder and was sentenced to death. January 21, 1989, Bundy confessed to various law enforcement enforcements of killing more than 30 women. On January 24, 1989, around 7 a.m., he was strapped in the electric chair and was later pronounced dead. My next serial killer is Jeffrey Dahmer. Jeffrey Dahmer is known for being a serial killer and sex offender who killed between the years of 1978 and 1991. Dahmer first committed murder in 1978, three weeks after his high school graduation. On June 18th, Dahmer picked up a hitchhiker named Stephen Martin Hitsk, who was almost 19. Dahmer lured the youth to his house on the pretext of drinking. Dahmer's last three victims were killed in a span of two weeks each, one cut into pieces and some stored in barrels of acid in the apartment. On July 22, 1991, Dahmer's last attempt to kill was Tracy Edwards, a 32-year-old father. He escaped the apartment with handcuffs, trying to flag down the police. When he caught their attention, he told them how a freak was holding him hostage. He helped him catch Dahmer by going back and convincing Dahmer that he was his friend. When Dahmer let his guard down, Tracy punched him in the face and brought the police in. Dahmer was arrested. Authorities would soon discover four other severed heads in Dahmer's kitchen, two human hearts in the refrigerator, seven skulls in Dahmer's, be- Dahmer's bedroom, as well as an entire human torso in his freezer. Then the authorities asked Dahmer if it would be impossible to lead a normal life if he was ever released. Dahmer said no. He said he would go right back to the same behavior, including killing. Sentenced 16 consecutive life terms, Dahmer was killed by a fellow prison inmate, Christopher Scaver, in 1994. My next person is John Wayne Gacy, also known as a killer clown. He confessed to over 32 killings of young men and boys and confessed to burying 27 bodies in his own property. Also, he was arrested prior due to guilty to sexual assault of two young boys in 1968. 
and was sentenced to 10 years, but was released early on good behavior for only 18 months. 1972, his first murder happened to be Timothy McCoy, where he takes him to this house to have a drink, and then later on stabs him to death and buries him in the crawl space. On July of 1975, John Berkovich, one of the many young men and teenagers hired for Dom, um, Gacy's contractors, disappeared after a heated conversation with Gacy over unpaid wages. He was later identified as Dahmer's, I mean, Gacy's third victim. After the divorce of his second wife, Gacy goes on a killing spree, claiming the lives of 24 more victims in the span of one year. Gacy's last victim got the police attention on his radar. 15-year-old Robert Priest goes missing after telling his mom he attends to see somebody about a high-paying job. Police follow a trail of witnesses to Gacy's home, like many un other runaways and dropouts who wound up in Gacy's clutches in the middle of the night. Priest was a popular high school student with strong ties to his community and his family. Gacy's lawyers later theorized that his client began getting more careless about his killings with the hope of getting caught. On December 13, 1978, John Gacy home was, home was searched and seized. After he had stalled from going to the police officers, Gacy finally submitted to questioning at the at the police station and handed over the keys to his home. When, when the investigators find a receipt linked to Priest, Gacy is put up on around-the-clock surveillance. On December 20th, 1978, after a week of being followed by the police, he goes to his lawyer and tells him that he had raped and tortured and killed at least 30 young men. On December 22nd, 1978, John Wayne Gacy was apprehended after being seen handling a bag of marijuana in a gas station. Gacy was the following day the suspect delivered a rambling statement to the police in which he confessed to killing more than thirty young men and boys, which most were buried in his crawl space, and the rest thrown in the Dells Plain River, though Gacy later attempts to retrace his confession. After being charged with seven murders in early January nineteen seventy nine, Gacy's indicted on twenty another twenty six by a grand jury, the total representing the largest number to charge to one person ever in American history. In April, the, the following year, the jury takes just one hour and 50 minutes to find Gacy guilty of those murders. The following day, the same jury takes two hours and 15 minutes to impose the death penalty. In December of 1993, the date of execution is set for May 10th, 1994. On May 10th, 1994, after delivering a final statement on behalf of his innocence, the 15-year-old is put to death just after midnight by lethal injection. Number four, the railroad killer, also known as Angel Martino Resendez, a Mexican serial killer who instilled fear and pain all across America and Mexico from hopping trains in the 1990s. He has been linked to 15 murders in both countries. He stopped his victims near railroad tracks before brutally butchering them either next to the tracks or in their own homes. His M.O. involved sexual assault and gruesome overkill. He moved freely between his home in Mexico and the States before finally being caught through fingerprints and SANA. After a region of terror that was prolific as terrorizing, the, he was convinced into turning himself in, in the, into the authorities in 1999 by his own sister. No one really knows who his first victim was, but 
He was executed for the slaying of physician Claudia Benton, who was killed during killing spree 1998-1999, which landed him on the FBI's most wanted list. Only one survived the killings. He was charged with serial, with serial murder and sexual, sexual assault, though convicted of capital murder and execution sentence. On the day of his execution, he confessed to more killings. Rosendez was executed on July, June 27, 2006, at the age of 45. Number 5. The Unbelievable Story, Survival Story, Holly K. Dunn. On August 28, 1997, Holly's life changed forever. It was the start of her junior year of college at the University of Kentucky. Holly and her boyfriend Chris Meyer were walking along the railroad tracks on their way home from a party when they were attacked by the railroad killer, aka Angel Martina Resendez. After her boyfriend was beaten to death, Holly is stabbed, raped, and left for dead. After making sure to humanize herself with Resendez by asking simple questions, usually serial killers don't imagine the victims as humans. So by making herself humanizing, she was able to let him not kill her. Holly would have to go through rehab to learn how to walk and talk again. Ultimately, she helped bring her assailant to justice and found meaning and purpose through service to victims of sexual assault and other violent crimes, working as a motivation speaker and activist. You can learn more about her story and her autobiography, Holly K. Dunn, Survivor Story, the inspiring true story of coming face-to-face with the infamous railroad killer. You can listen to more and more of podcasts by listening to them on Spotify or wherever you can find podcasts. Don't forget to check out The Prowler for more stories and podcasts. Thank you for listening. Have a good day.